Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Are you tired of investing your time and your energy into relationships that go nowhere and you know deep down the common denominator is you. You have awareness that whatever you're doing right now in relationships is not working, it's not serving you, and you are ready to take ownership of this area of your life and finally learn how to embody a securely attached, confident woman who can attract a great relationship. If that's you, I have a very special invitation I want to invite you to apply to the Empowered, Secure, and Loved program. This is a program designed to help you no matter your attachment style, no matter your relationship past, it will help you move to secure attachment so that you can show up confident, you can communicate well, you can navigate any kind of conflict, and you can create that relationship that you've always wanted while simultaneously having high self-worth and high levels of self-love. If that's you and you know that in 2022, you are ready for a great relationship and you're committed to getting there, I want to personally invite you to apply to the ESL program Use the link in my Instagram bio. On Instagram, it's at Dr. Morgan Coaching, Dr. Morgan Coaching, and the link is also in the show notes. Spots are extremely limited, so go apply now to reserve your spot and start your journey to high self worth and great relationships. Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. We have Dr. John Deloney with us. Welcome, John. So excited to have you. What's up, Dr. Anderson? How are you? (laughs) Great. Great. I got to tell the audience a little bit about you. Um, He is a best-selling author. The latest book is Own Your Past, Change Your Future, mental health expert and host of the Dr. John Deloney Show. He has two PhDs two decades of experience in counseling, crisis response, and higher education. John's goal is to help you navigate tough decisions, improve your relationships, and believe you're worthy of being well. What an intro. I love that last <laughs> sentence. That's, that's uh, my, my, my <laughs> high school, my middle school friends would be rolling their eyes out of the back of their head. Thank you for your kindness. <laughs> no, we're so excited to have you. And I, I really do love that last sentence to believe that you are worthy of being well, because I think about that's often what sabotages our wellness is just thinking that we're not worthy of investing in our healing or taking the time to heal. Right. So anyways, yeah, I, I love that. And 
maybe nobody's ever modeled what that even looks like for you. Right. right. Or every story you've ever been told about yourself is that other people, your, your job is a peacekeeper, right? Your job is to make sure everybody else is okay. And it never occurs to people. Oh, wait a minute. I could, I could, I could honor myself here. I, I, I'm worthy of this too. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom to finally have that realization. Or sometimes, you know, you do just realize, wow, okay, I need to take this time. But we will get right into it. I feel like there's so much you and I could talk about. So we will. Let's do it. I don't get to talk to, to licensed psychologists very often. I used to spend all of my time um, and when I was working at university. I, I got to spend all my time with other fellow nerds and now I never get to. So let's talk all about the fun stuff. This will be good. <laughs> I'm super excited. So before we nerd out, let's talk about you. Like what brought you on this path? Um, my dad was a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator growing up. And so I have this, I have two, two main stories guide my, my, my movement forward in my life. One is, I just have a very um, vivid picture of when things get messy, when things go sideways, when people are hurting, your job is to go in. And I just have these vivid memories of my dad putting on his bulletproof vest and having that little cocky 80s cop smile on his face, that smirk. And then he would head in. And that was his job, man, just to keep people safe and take care of folks. And then my mom grew up in a culture that she was not allowed to go to college. Um, she was told women have a job or they got a role and it's not that, and this is what you will do. And my dad encouraged her, family encouraged her, but that was, I mean, that was just the way that was. And so then my mom and dad got married really young, 19 and 20 and all the way until she was in her forties. Um, she would work at a craft room. She had a sewing store out of our house kind of thing, but mostly here's your role. Your role is to be a homemaker, et cetera. And so finally, um, when she was 42, she took her first community college class and my dad had been encouraging her to go do this. She took one community college class. The next semester, she took another one. The next semester, she took another one. And at 57, she graduated with her PhD after working at Enron and Deloitte and all these other places. Wow. And at 72, she just resigned as the department chair at a university as an English department head. And so she had this half of her life that said, this is what women are worth. This is what women are allowed to do, quote unquote. And then she has this entire wild back half where she's teaching at Oxford and Wales and she's all over the world um, in her 50s, 60s and 70s. And so the two main lessons I got was when things get sideways, you go in. And the second lesson was age is not a thing. Um, mm. Past stories about, about your limitations or your value aren't a thing. You have a constant responsibility to keep growing, keep moving, and to say yes to the next hard thing, and then go do it. And wow. um, so those meta messages instilled in me and my brother and my sister, our job is to make sure people's lives are a little bit better. And that can manifest itself behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. But my life is, my goal has always been, I want people to be, um, have better lives, right? And wow. for a while that was in education and then it morphed into mental health. I just trying to learn more about it and then I so started great. crisis stuff and everything. 
This is why I asked that question. There's always such amazing stories behind why we do what we do. Um, two things. I would love to meet your mother. She sounds freaking She's a amazing. Gangster, dude. She's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. And then I seriously got gratitude goosebumps, is what I would call it. When when you were talking about that message of, you know, you're not gonna go to college or you're not supposed to go to college. Mm. And just thinking about that for me that it would it was the opposite of you will go to college i didn't think there was any other option you know? that was that was and that was my privilege right like it, going right. to grad school was as, as as an expectation as like bathing right you're going to go do these and i didn't you don't think about it it's what you're going to do wow. but now i look in retrospect at my friends and colleagues and the students i've worked with that did not get those same affirming messages and man it's a tough it's a tough road to hoe when you don't have a support network yeah wow yeah, so so much gratitude. And I think even just speaking to women's experiences and um the the idea that hey, it doesn't matter what age you are, that your mom had a vision for her identity beyond being a mother and that yeah. she slowly chipped away at that. That's freaking incredible. It's great. That was awesome. I love it. Good. Yeah, it was good. Oh, so and good. it took away any there is <laughs> one one thing you can't say in my house is I can't. That's just not a word. Like that's not a, that's not a sentence And because everyone will roll their eyes and they'll say, yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can. I don't mean, I don't know what it is, but you can. Right. And that's just, that's the way we were raised. Well, I love it. That's great. Amazing. Um, tell us about your book. I, so I'm writing a book. I'm so excited. That's so cool. It's my first one. And it's such a vulnerable. I've never felt more vulnerable and I've, I've never bumped up. And, I, you know, I had to write a dissertation. I had to write all kinds of stuff. But there's something about a book that I feel like makes you really face any self-doubt that you have. Any any remaining beliefs that you thought you had already, you know, gotten over, they're going to pop back up. Oh, it's man. just been a, a deeper level of self-work so anyways enough about me i want to hear about (laughs) it's brutal and i'll just affirm that i i was completely caught off guard um i speak to audiences all over the country big groups and nothing gets me riled up anymore and i've walked into situations where we're pulling bodies out of situations and cleaning up scenes before mothers get home to be with their with their kids who passed away i mean messy messy situations and this is easily the most exposed I felt. That's the, that's the, that's a beautiful word is exposed. It's hard and it's scary. And I mean, I've been spouting things and then, you know, the publisher I work with here, they're like, Hey, we need to see the studies on this. And I realized I've been saying this wrong for the last seven years. Right. So you got to be right. And you got, I had to go back through some stories in my own life that I thought I had dealt with. I very, very clearly hadn't dealt with. And so, yeah, it's a mess. It's a tough deal going back through that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, Here's the deal. I'm not that smart. There's a there's a million great psychology books and there's a million great relationship books. There's a, like so what I really believed um, when I was doing my work in higher ed, being around a bunch of brilliant scientists, brilliant thinkers who are all about helping other people. They have single-minded goals to help other people, to create new knowledge, to help the world be a little bit better. And what I realized since in, in this new role here. Uh, where I'm talking to people outside of the academy. It's been a humbling moment because I realized that this is just for me, for the last 15 or 20 years, I've been talking past people. I've been talking over people with my theories and my ideas. And hey, if you'll follow this thing, 
And I realized, oh no, there's just a single mom with two kids and she doesn't really care what my theoretical framework is. She wants her life to be a little bit better. Or there's a dad who's an over the road trucker who just wants to figure out why his 14 year old son won't talk to him anymore. And I can give him all of the this is and that's, but man, can you just help me please? And I, um, it was, a, it's been a humbling couple of years. And so my, the, this book is it's 10 years in the making. It's, um, me sitting with a bajillion people over the last 10 years and my own um, burning out and trying to figure out what comes next in a messy, messy world that we've created for ourselves. But it's really um, me and the reader sitting over at a table over some chips and queso and let's figure this out. So it's me with you. It's not me talking at you. It's not me providing. I mean, this stuff is thousands Mm -hmm. of years old. I didn't create any of this stuff, Uh, but it's me sitting with you saying, Hey, um, it doesn't have to be this way. And uh, there's some things we can do for a little more joy and a lot more peace and a lot more laughter from our guts and our sex lives can be better and our joy can be better and we can be more connected to our kids. And it's, it's, it's messy, but it's not hard, right? It's going to be, it's going to be a journey, but we can do this, right? So good. So good. I love that. I think that was one of the things that shifted me into the work I do now is that I wanted to make clinical psychology, you know, the, the theoretical speak that we have, I wanted to make it accessible to people. It's so important because how can we help people if it can't actually reach people? Right. So that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah. I'm glad you are. Um, well, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about, you know, some of the specifics in the book. I know that, one of the things you talk about is our stories, mm. our narratives, and even how those can be trauma related and, mm. and how those stories can really get in the way of us living our best lives. Yeah. Um, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about that. You bet. So um, I've, I've been inspired over the last decade or so by some, just been a, a flood of, of books, but Judith Thurman and, Peter Levine and Bessel van der Kolk, some of these great thinkers of reframing trauma less about an event and more about how our body is responding in the present to these events from the past. And when I begin to pull that thread apart, one of the things I've worked with students for so many years on is what I call the gap. And how can I create some space between stimulus and response when Mm -hmm. that girl hangs up on you and you head to the fridge, if I can create a, just a second of space between that moment or when you get in a fight with her and you sh- hang up and you start to text an old ex, can we create just a just right then? Can we create space? And the more I pulled that, that string on that sweater, the more that sweater unraveled real fast on me because I realized our body's been is designed to protect us from and has incorporated these stories physiologically, right? These aren't just, um, I, I do think this, I'll speak from, for counseling, which is my world different than clinical psych. Um, I think we've done a, a terrible disservice over the last 50 or 60 years because we've made counseling and therapy all about cognition, think different things. And we have completely disconnected from a body that is operating often underneath all that, just trying to protect us and keep us alive. And these things that we had to do when we were seven, because mom told us, 
hey, if you do that, I'm going to get really mad, which told the seven-year-old, you are responsible for the emotional regulation of the adults in your home. Mm-hmm. And a seven-year-old's not strong enough to carry that. They don't have the spiritual, psychological strength to carry that, but they, they're forced to. And that body then creates a series of chemical responses that protect that little girl, that little boy that is still happening when they're 44 and their boss says, hey, listen, boom, that same, your body's put a pin in that and we're going to play that script again. And so the further I pulled that, like, how do you get that gap in your body? How do you begin to create space between what just happened and my body's response and what's the next right thing? And man, I landed, you've got to deal with those stories you were born into the ones that you don't even know that this is just the way you see the world, you know, the theoretical framework, your parents and churches and community and culture gave you, you got to deal with the stories you were told about yourself, what you can do, what you can't do, what your body's worth, what your values are worth, what, you know, you have these boundaries and that uncle shows you, I don't care about those boundaries, right? You got to deal with those stories. And then you got to deal with the stories of the things you've done. And I know that's not a popular counseling thing either, but We've all participated in our own dumb decisions too, or I won't even call them dumb in our own. We've all participated in the challenges that we've experienced. Yeah. And those stories that I've, I've found over the years, those stories that we were born into, the ones we were told, the things we did, those become the stories we tell ourselves. Those become the looping narrative about what mm-hmm. we're worth, what we can or can't do, um, the way things will always be, these imaginary conversations that we have when we're ruminating over over and over. It's just this voice that we've created that uh, protects us from ourselves. And man, if we can deal with that head on, then we can begin to change some of the mess that we live in. So powerful. I love this. And I will talk about uh, with the women that I coach, I'll talk about, hey, we want to be in a place where we are responding instead of reacting. I love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do agree that at some point, I, I think therapy did become, at least for a lot of interventions, it's too cognitive and it's, it is very focused on, okay, let's restructure your thoughts, et cetera. That's so helpful. Yeah. And you got to go do, right. You got to go move. Yeah. We need to change. I, I had a professor um, in grad school who was all behavioral psych and he was only mm. behavioral, not cognitive. And he used to say, you have to act your way into a new way. Mm. A feeling. Um, it's all of it. It's it's, it's all it's it. That's I love a good behaviorist. That's one of my favorite people to hang out with. And I love a good cognition. And I yeah. always leave saying it's both and right. Both, There's some right? day like this morning, it's Friday when we're recording this. I'm tired. I got two little kids. The last thing I wanted to do is go to the gym. And yeah. I didn't feel like it. I didn't want to. And I had to act my way into the right next thing, mm-hmm. right? I had to go move my body in a robotic fashion and get my butt downstairs mm-hmm. to our gym in, in the basement. And then some days um, I need to feel. Mm-hmm. Is today a good day? Is, I need to take a day off today, right? So it's both and. And I think the, the nuance and the magic of living a well life is knowing when is, when is which, right? Absolutely. And this is where I talk a lot about slowing down and developing self-trust because obviously trauma really disconnects us from ourselves because we're Mm -hmm. so focused externally and we're, we're in that survival mode. You talked about the seven-year-old that takes on things that you never should have to right, and you get thrown into survival mode and then you lose that connection with yourself 
Um, so I think it's so much about slowing down and re reconnecting and learning to trust yourself again. And I think sometimes I'm sure you realize this, but some people that I coach, they, they forgot that they even had that internal experience. It's been so long since they've actually checked in with themselves. They forgot what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. And we numb it. We avoid, we watch, we watch TV, we scroll Instagram. I see your posts on Instagram. I know you you talk about this, like numbing, avoiding. It is so prevalent. Yeah. Well, and and I'm so glad you used the word trauma there. Um, When you're four years old and you're a little boy and you're running through the living room, acting the fool and you bam your head on the counter. And you start to cry and your old man, your dad comes in and says, hey, suck it up. That didn't hurt. That four-year-old thinks in their very primitive four-year-old little minds, that does hurt. But he's smart and he's big and I want to be like him. So I must not be able to trust what I feel because it's wrong. He said so. And that four-year-old will spend the rest of his life outsourcing how he feels and what he wants and what he needs to his romantic partners, to his bosses, to his community, to his militant political group on whatever side of the aisle he wants. Right. He will continue to search for because he was told the what you feel, both spiritually and physiologically, you're wrong. Doesn't count. Mm -hmm. I'm right. And that's trauma. That sends your body into fight or flight forever. And most of us wouldn't think that. We'd think trauma is the divorce and the car wreck and the big heart attack and the big infidelity. Right. And that is, but these little traumas are cumulative and they add up and they add up and they add up. The way I describe it as a backpack, some people get center blocks dropped in that backpack and it's heavy and we can see that. Mm. Other people just get a pebble and a pebble and a pebble. And over time, mm. the weight of those backpacks is the same. And mm. that that fight or flight, that cortisol and adrenaline is spinning up every time, every time, every time to protect that little boy who happens to be 44 right now with two kids of his own. And we're just going to repeat the cycle and repeat the cycle. And so it's dealing with those stories. Why is my body trying to protect me from right now? My daughter is six. She can't hurt me. (laughs) She like, why, why am I feeling like a failure right now? Let's have that conversation instead of just dumping into our numbing or our puffing our chest up routine. Right. Yep. I, yeah, we are so on the same page. I think, um, we have to start with validating ourselves and getting to that place where we can accept, okay, wow. I, I am in a place where I've experienced trauma or there's ways I've disconnected from myself. It all starts with that acceptance and acknowledging it. Um, and whether you're 44 or you're 24 or you're 85, right. It, it all starts with that acceptance and acknowledgement that that's where you're at. Can I give um, you a word? I, w- I, w- I would love for to, I'm going to like, if I can interview you for about an hour here, um, here's I've given people this word over the last few years, and it seems to, to help. Let me know if, if this rings true with you. When people ask me, how do I do this? The, the word that comes to mind is you practice. And we've made this an all or nothing, yeah. like everything is everything is the Super Bowl. And if you screw this one interaction up with this one person at the work social, you're going to forever be. And we put all this weight on ourselves. It's not if like, like we're like we are married. We went to counseling. We're having this conversation and we're going to re-engage 
our intimate lives tonight. And if we blow this, the whole, man, we just put so much stinking pressure. And so I love the idea of I'm going to practice learning how to feel my body. And I may halfway through drink number two go, oh, that, okay, okay, that's mm-hmm. it. Okay, now I see. And next time I'll be good, but we tend to be like, oh, I blowed it. I might as well, I, I blew it. I might totally. as well have five drinks now, right? So I like this Absolutely. idea of practicing, practicing, practicing. Yes. I talk Get about good. this all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. About we have to, I, you know, I don't know if anyone else says this, but I say we have to be a self care scientist. Mm. Like you oh, have to like be that. willing. Yeah. Right. Like you have to be willing to run the experiments and see what's helpful, what's not helpful. You could think of it as like a self-love scientist, what, whatever word you want to throw in there. But like, how are you going to show up for you? And you have to say, I am committed to being curious enough to find out what that looks like. What are my non-negotiables or what are the things that work for me? I am worthy of being curious about myself. Right. And, and figuring that out and running the experiments. Can I, okay, so can um, we go down that rabbit hole for a second? Sure. Here's what I've learned about myself. Um, I am terrible at interpreting my experiment results. When I am feeling heavy, when I am in the thick of it, especially when I'm exhausted, when I'm exhausted, it's Mm -hmm. the worst. Um, I have found that I am not a good judge of my next right step. And that has made connecting and having a group of people walk alongside me in my life, a group of um, men generally, but a group of men and women who I say, I tell them I love them and that I um, would trust my kids with them. And I trust their advice and their wisdom mm-hmm. because when I'm trying to figure stuff out or when things are heavy, I'm, I'm a terrible judge of reality. And so it might be that I need to, um, a big, gigantic one pound bag of, gummy worms is what the data tells me makes me feel better. Right. And then my friends around me are like, no, you're miserable. My wife says you snore all night and you're annoying. And then my kids say in the morning, I'm a grouch, a grouch because my blood sugar is so low. Right. So there's, it's kind of a both end. I have to be self-experimenting and I've got to get other yeah. people to check out the results spit out of the computer. Right. Absolutely. We have to have those people that we trust that can give us that honest feedback. Uh, yeah, I, I love, love that. I think good, that's good. good. Okay. The accountability. You're, you're, I'm just checking all of my, uh, all of my theoretical premises <laughs> yeah. on, with the clinical psych. Oh, oh man. I, I think we line up on a lot. Um, I think one thing I would be curious, obviously. So, well, I, I don't know if you know this, but we talk about relationships a lot on this podcast. Yeah. Um, a lot of attachment theory, a lot of understanding your attachment style and how that impacts how you show up and who you're attracted to and all, all the relationship goodness. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, this piece about self-care, this piece about the story you're telling yourself, like really going internal, doing the work as we love to say in our field. And then people are like, what the heck does that even mean? But morons, exactly. (laughs) Doing the work, right? All of this, like, why is it so important to do it when it comes to having that great relationship that, that you've always wanted? Um, one, I am a believer that, um, and again, 
I, I found conflicting data here, so I'm going to go with the data that best supports what I want to want to back up my argument, right? <laughs> like a good statistician, I'll twist the uh, data to fit what I want it to say. Um, I think that we tend to, not always, but we tend to lean in with relationships, particularly romantic partners. We tend to lean into our gaps as though they will solve us. Um, you hear like the old opposites attract that we. I tend to lean into somebody who's going to be a little more reserved a little more follows the rules and drives the speed limit who actually budgets for things because i have a body telling me this is where you have failed this is your holes and this will solve everything and i bring all of my story and all of my baggage and all of my automated responses and i dump it on another human being and say ah i'm good now and vice versa right it works the other way and if i am not um if I'm not consciously and intentionally dealing with my things, then my wife becomes a trash bin for me, becomes a carrier of all of my self-doubt and my shame. And, and when I say carry it, it's not that I'm talking it out and trying to work this stuff out. She gets my grouchiness and she gets my avoidance and my silence that so I can be indignant when someone's like, what's wrong? I can be like, nothing. What's wrong with you? even though I might as well be smashing the windows out because my silence is so loud, right? Um, she has to wear that. And then she's got a physiological response to the giant bear who just plopped itself down in the living room, right? And my kids have to. So I think it's how, how few bricks in my backpack can I enter into this relationship? Because part of being in a relationship is we're both going to agree to carry this stuff with each other. And so the more I can do the work, the lighter I can make this load, the less fantasy I live in. This person's never going to quote unquote fix me. That's not the goal here. Mm -hmm. The goal is I'm going to, I'm going to pull the string on my story. She's going to pull the string on hers so that we can write a new story together. And it's going to have as light of uh, as empty a backpack as possible moving forward. That is so good. I, I love thinking of it that way. I'll say um, a relationship can't give you anything that you can't give yourself. Mm. I like to remind people that. And then I think that that really matches up with, with what you've said. Um, but it's interesting to me that we can do all the work and we have the awareness and we can come in with intention and we will probably still choose people who are a bit opposite from us, even with all that healthy work, you know, and then it's just that awareness, I think, of the the expectation, right? Or what am I what am I placing on them that isn't yeah, theirs? Yeah, our, our, um, I've been really convicted by the homeostasis research that our body is going to constantly solve for familiar over what's right or healthy. It's going to always go back to what it knows. And that's why we can white knuckle our ways and grind our ways through 40 pounds of weight loss. And it will find its way back on our body's going to go. It's going to feel disoriented. It's going to be like being on a boat all day. And then suddenly you get on dry land and you have that wobbly, mm -hmm. your body feels off. Um, and you're always going to dump back into what you know. And even if you, uh, you know, your picture of husband, your picture of romantic partner, your picture of wife is violent, is loud, is dismissive. Your body, that's what your body knows. And the temptation is to solve for homeostasis, right? And so you constantly have to be vigilant about what am I leaning into and what am I expecting mm -hmm. of this person and what am I tolerating from this person? And I really love um, the great Esther Perel's quote, you're going to have three or four great loves in your adult lifetime. 
And if you work real, real hard, it will be with the same person. Mm-hmm. And I yes. love that notion that my wife is constantly reading new things and taking new classes and learning new things and hanging out with different people, which means I am constantly getting a brand new wife. I'm constantly getting a new human who is growing and developing and changing. And so my job is not to put a pin in things, to put a period at the end of those sentences. It's constantly revisiting what needs does she need in this season? How can I go all in on the new her? And that used to be so terrifying to think of that. Now it's like the great excitement, man. It's so fun um, watching this thing move and grow instead of sit still and slowly decay. I love this so much. And, you know, I talk a lot about secure attachment and what that looks like in action. And I think one of the things is that you want your partner to grow. You want to support them to change, to evolve in whatever ways are best for them with the understanding that, hey, when they're growing in ways that are great for them, it's going to ultimately be great for our relationship. That's right. And I want to support that. I love it. The way I describe it is we're going to put quote unquote relationship over here and we're going to anchor into this thing because it's built out of stone and concrete and steel and it's tethered to the center of the earth. And because we're so committed to this relationship, this third entity here, both of us can repel off the side here and swing and fly Mm -hmm. and fall and fail and trip because we're chained to this thing together. And I know Mm -hmm. chain together says is a bad connotation, but we are so into this that the whole you makes a better union for both of us. Right. And I I love that. And this is the kind of relationship that I think so many people have not experienced. Well, about 50% of the population really hasn't experienced secure attachment. Right. And the the idea that wow i could be my whole self who i really am go after what i really want be totally honest and be loved by someone that's right that concept's totally foreign to yeah. to a lot of us who who didn't have good good relationships growing up you know well i think you don't have relation we don't have relational models growing up and we have an entire media and um sales ecosystem reminding us where we're short reminding us where we are Mm -hmm. failing where we're not good enough where that birthday party was that that mom planned was so much better that single mom was doing it so much better than you're doing it that husband is able to run a marathon and run a company and be at every little league game like there's just an ecosystem of guilt and shame that gets us to click on things and buy things to try to punt our pain a little bit down the road and we have no sense of peace right we have no sense in i can go home and drop my shoulders and say today was not okay and my wife says that's fine take out the trash and then we'll talk about it right we no, we just don't have a picture of what that even looks and feels like mm-hmm. that home is a safe place it's not a den, absolutely. Of, a den of wolves right absolutely absolutely and i think i mean that's why i'm so passionate about what what i do and i'm sure you know you can understand this is just helping people really experience relational safety and, and relational joy. And when, when you, when that wasn't your norm, right. When you haven't experienced it before, I just think it's like, why else are we here on this planet? Right. Like, like we, we have to be able to have great relationships. And I, I love people when, when they'll, when I work with them and they'll say, Oh my gosh, I've never felt 
like this before in a relationship or wow i feel like i can be myself yes it's it's such a good feeling and i've i've worked with men behind closed doors for years fancy pants who oh my gosh you know what i mean i thought love looked like x and it looks like just oh my gosh just holding their hand like it's this I had a picture of it. And when I finally sat down and slowed down for a minute and listened, my body went, now nah, we're safe. Right. And people have just never experienced that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so powerful. One of the things, and I, um, I wonder if I, I need to read your book. I have to say, I'm just going to be honest, y'all. I haven't read it. I will read it though. <laughs> um, <all> good. <laughs> my wife for sure will never read it. We're in good won't. company. Oh no, my gosh. never. She never. Oh. Will. She's like, I heard all this nonsense all the time. You're good. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Um, but one of the things I'm curious if you talk about it in there, but one of the things I do is really focus on getting identity really clear and developing that clear picture of where we want to go. And part of the work I do with women is is really helping them get clear on, well, what would a great relationship look like? And like really developing the models of that. Because just as you said, society, you know, there's all this nonsense out there. We have to actually get really intentional um, and develop a, a clear model of what we want. That's right. I, there's a chapter on identity. So yes, great. absolutely. And um I, I was I was moved in a, in a way that I didn't expect um, from James Clear's book, and I, I didn't expect it. I thought it was I mean I've read a hundred books on habits, and um, but the section that was the most moving um, was talking about one of the cornerstones of behavior change is less about trying to grind out a goal and more uh, trying to grind out a finish line because finish lines in life don't exist; they're not real. Um, but instead ask yourself, who do you want to be mm-hmm. and live into that and reverse engineer who you want to be with the set of actions and thoughts that you're constantly ruminating and meditating on. And the goals take care of themselves. It's like my wife's, her research, um, is, is with little kids and how they learn to read and her research in, in two, I think it was 2006, 2007 was this comically groundbreaking sat fright like heartbreakingly groundbreaking work that hey if you will set up an environment in a classroom for kids to learn the test scores will take care of themselves because they will know the material because they actually care about it because you actually taught them you don't have to sit there and drill and kill kids all day with with stuff right if you want your wife to fill in the blank action right in the bedroom chores whatever Create an ecosystem that is safe and that is playful and that is inviting and that is warm. And that other nonsense will take care of itself or at least a conversation about needs and curiosity and intimacy. Now you've got a, a, an ecosystem for those conversations. And if you just try to blast through to the goal, like for what, man? Like, for, like what are we doing, right? And you'll get to the goal. And you'll have a million dollars and you'll have a fancy Tesla and you'll have the stuff and you'll look around and be completely and totally alone. And you'll ask yourself for what? Like, right. Why are we doing mm-hmm. this? Yeah, yeah. Love it. So good. So, so good. You know, I think, uh, I think my audience has heard me talk about this, but 
really that lie of I'll be happy when. Oh, it doesn't exist. No such thing. That's right. It's where goals come from, right? Like mine was, oh, I'll be happy when I get my PhD, right? Or no, that's just the that's the that's the that's day one of misery. You realize. Oh my gosh. Oh, there's a lot of really smart people out there, and I'm not them, right? I mean, it's it's that's a terrifying moment. Oh Lord. So yeah, I think we have to enjoy the process. And and I I stand by what what you said of who do you want to become? That's exactly what I coach all the women on who go through my program. It's that clarity of no, but who are you? Yeah. How how do you want to feel? What kind of person are you at your core? Like, what does that actually look like? You know, when when we start there, life gets really easy, at least it for gets me. Super easy yeah. because you're able to scrape away the non-essentials. And most of this stuff is completely non-essential, right? But if I yeah. say, I want to be a present dad and I want to be a good husband and mm-hmm. I want to be great at my work. I want to be a guy who honors his body. I want to be a guy who honors his family. Okay, well, then you're going to have to say no to some speaking gigs and you're going to have to say no to this and you're going to have to go home at the end of your work day and not piddle around on, on social media for an hour before you leave the, the office, right? Like it, it really dictates your actions throughout the day because I'm living into a new idea. I love yes. that, love that, love that. And me personally, it takes realigning with that daily. I spend the first Every day. 10 minutes yes. of my day and, yes. and I teach this in the program, but it's called the morning alignment. I love and it, I love just, it. It's like a chiropractor for your, for your identity. That's right. Yeah. We have to reconnect with it. Yeah. I love it. Wow. We have so much we could talk about. It's great. Um, there's one thing I just feel kind of pulled to talk about this with you because I think you can relate. And I have a lot of listeners who I think this is kind of where they're at. This idea of wanting to care for others all of the time and especially the health professions i talk to so many women who are doctors nurses you know they're they're if you're a teacher etc you're you're showing up you're giving and you're always giving to others yeah and it breaks my heart and obviously this was me too right like why why did i become a psychologist oh so i wouldn't have to deal with my own stuff like it was a great <laughs> way That's to right. avoid myself but I'm just curious your perspective on how people in the helping professions, how, how can we honor that part of ourselves, but also take care of ourselves and kind of break some of those cycles of always putting other people first. I love that. So my, my, my nerd work, my, um, my second dissertation was on the mental health of lawyers and that surrounded some projects I did on the mental health of doctors and lawyers and college presidents and preachers and people who Ooh. other people go to for wellness. Well, they, and, I asked the right guy then. This is great. Well, I, I love it. About it. it. <laughs> there's, um, there's a couple of challenges. I think one is just the ecosystem. There's such a disincentivization to get your own care when your job is caring for other people. Um, and in fact, we, it goes back to the thing we were talking about with everything's cognitive. I know the answers. Like I know the right three things to say to my wife right now. I just don't freaking want to, cause I'm pissed off. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I need to talk to a professional. I need to go sit down and speak with somebody, but my world is such that my job is to make sure everybody else is okay. And that happens with frontline teachers, with nurses. And again, I come from a long line of, of teachers. Now my dad's teacher, my mom's professor, my dad's professor, my wife's a teacher. Um, and so that's what we do. And I, 
a great gift if you haven't read um, Burnout by the Nagatsky Sisters. I thought it was a remarkable book talking about we pour so much in, and it's a book um, written for women, but I've passed it along to a number of men as well. It's just a, a brilliant book, but they talk about the biochemistry of, of health, the biochemistry of support and caring for other people. And if you don't honor your physiology and honor your body, it literally will, it doesn't have the capacity to keep going. And it comes out in anxiety and it comes out in, in quote unquote burnout and it comes out in, I don't care anymore, that depersonalization, nothing I do matters. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm a drop in an ocean. I'm not making a difference anymore. And all of these things circle back to a body that can't carry the load you're putting on it. And so part of me wants to go back to that cliche. You got to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help anybody. And there's some reality to that. I think it's deeper than that. I think for those of us who are helpers, we either have experienced hurt in the world, we've experienced our own challenges and our own pain, or we've seen it. And we are going to go about helping and healing ourselves by healing other people. And we have to know that the math on that equation doesn't work. I cannot give other people what I don't have. I can get really busy and I can give them some psychometric testing and I can you know, draw blood and I can give them a diagnostic. I can't help them. I can't give them the human connection they need. I can't give them the peace. I can't give them the listening ear that they need if I don't have it to give. And so the only way I can care and love for people, the only way I can be present for my kids, for my wife, is if I honor myself enough. I honor them enough by taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes means I'm going to take a season off. I'm going to quit teaching for a year. I'm going to transfer from the ICU unit over to the diabetic unit and have different conversations with a different population. I went, my wife and I took a $70,000 household income pay cut when I transitioned from a giant university to being the dean of students at a law school because I needed a smaller group of people to work with because I had to get well and I had to get my feet back underneath me and figure out what was going on. And it cost us a lot of money, cost us a lot of time. And it was the greatest thing. And the money has taken care of itself in um, exponentially since then. Everything's been okay. I had to stop. My wife had to stop. We had to say, whoa, 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 where are we right now? We're not okay. You're not okay. We got to do the things to help us be okay so that we can get back in the arena and get dirty and bloody and, 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 and covered in dust again. Because that's what we're supposed to do, but it's not going to heal us. It's not going to heal us. I love that answer. Thank you so much for being vulnerable. It is no, a Let's you got Get it. Vulnerable podcast. Yeah. So. <laughs> right on the nose. Yep. That's, that's a great question. I think so many helpers are in it to quote unquote help other people. It's not. We're in it to, to fill up something that's missing inside of us. It's, and I think we, we yeah. just do a disservice to other people. It's all about, gosh, that's such an, you know, myself, even as a five-year-old on the playground, I would sit with people one-on-one -on -one and I would talk with them. Like it was like really early for me. Right. Mm. Um, but I think it's the why and the how, and I mean, you, you talked so. And the what for, right. And the what yeah. for, why am I doing it? Right. Like when you are filled up, I think it's Rachel Hollis who talks about this, but there's the vase of flowers and she talks about if it's if it's an empty you're like spilling out water here or there 
And then eventually the vase is going to fall over and it's going to break into a million pieces. Right. Mm. And then you're that's burnout. Gotcha. Um, whereas if it's standing tall and it's boundaried and we're getting what we need and the water is filling up, it can eventually overflow. Right. Love and that. then, it's right. Yeah. It's, it's a good, it's a good metaphor. So I think when we're in that place of overflow and it's, it's like you, you're reconnected to your purpose, you're helping people, you're doing it in ways that feel good. We need to give, we need to help. It's part of our identity to be a helper, but can we do it from that place of overflow? And, you know, I'm taken care of. That's right. A, a fireman that runs into the building without the fire gear on is going to get himself killed and they're going to, he's going to rob his children of their father and he's going to not help anybody in that building. If you'll take the three minutes on the outset to get the right gear on to take care of yourself, then you could go in there and really help some people. That's right. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. Your, your You're a saint. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for, um, for, for letting me uh, pick your brain on some things. I'm really grateful. Yeah. I have one other question for you. What's I that? ask all my guests this. So let's say you're walking down the street random person comes up to you and they want to know your best life advice right now. It doesn't have to be ever, right? But right now, if somebody asked you that question on the street, what would you say to them? Be kind to everyone because you never know what battles people are fighting behind their smiles. Be kind to everyone. Full stop, period. Yeah, that, I mean... As I feel, especially in our world right now and where, where we are, it, that could not be more relevant. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. You we, bet. We, my dad, my dad was a homicide detective and he's, he had a reputation around the precinct of just being kind to the people who had done the most horrific thing. Like mm-hmm. what, what is flexing on those guys and showing you, yeah, yeah. like, what's that going to solve? Like, let's, let's mm-hmm. shine some light on some humanity here. And uh, my mom was very similar. And so let, let's find places where we can just be kind to the worst of the it. worst, to the people that make us sad and scared. Let's just be kind. So good. Thank you for that. And John, I know the audience is going to want to connect with you. You're, you're everywhere. How, so tell us where, where we can connect with you. Where's the best place? I know you say that, man. I've spent my whole career trying to disappear from the internet and here we are. So um, you can go to johndeloney.com or you can follow me at John Deloney at all of the uh, internet's things. All I don't the tweet internets. or anything. I don't, I don't use Twitter. I, I, I'm not down with that, but uh, Instagram. Are you on TikTok? <laughs> no, I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't know how it works. I don't even know how to log in. I had zero until I joined this crazy crew here i i had zero i didn't have no social media I didn't no have social any. media so you can tell I, I i'm still figuring out how it all works but it's fun no i yeah i i'm with you um awesome well thank you again so much definitely go check out his book own your past change your future who knows maybe we'll have you back on some time i think there's more we could talk about let's do it anytime i'm yeah. I'm, I'm down thanks for uh awesome. thanks for having me on i'm grateful for you morgan Oh, thank you so much. And everyone, of course, we're wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. We'll talk to you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram 
Facebook and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.